0: The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the Church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider on this first weekend of February, 2023. I start as usual with a summary of news highlights of the past week, and then move to the interview segment. Today is part two of my conversation with Alexei Gotovsky, my multilingual, multi-talented colleague from Kazakhstan in the EWTN Rome office. Last week, you learned about his childhood in a country flanked by India, China, and Russia, and heard about his road to Rome and EWTN. And now, the rest of Alexei's story, including his trip to his native Kazakhstan with Pope Francis. Now the news. As you can imagine, most of the week was dedicated to Pope Francis' 40th foreign apostolic trip, his trip to Africa first to the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, the second largest nation in Africa, and then to South Sudan on what Francis himself has called an ecumenical pilgrimage, where he will be joined by Anglican Archbishop Justin Welby and Reverend Ian Greenshields, President of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. This trip was to have taken place in July, but the pope's doctors advise against it due to a worsening of his mobility issues at the time. The peoples of both nations were greatly disappointed at the postponement, but have been enthusiastically rejoicing each hour of every day that the Holy Father's been in their lands. Francis is the first pope to visit the DRC since John Paul traveled there in 1985, but then it was called Zaire. This week, the summaries of each day's papal events are by necessity very brief. Sunday, January 29th, after praying the Angelus with the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square, Francis asked for prayers for his apostolic trip. I greet with affection those beloved peoples who await me, he said. These lands, situated in the center of the great African continent, have suffered greatly from lengthy conflicts. The Democratic Republic of the Congo, especially in the east of the country, suffers from armed clashes and exploitation. South Sudan, racked by years of war, longs for an end to the constant violence that forces many people to be displaced and to live in conditions of great hardship. The Pope noted that in South Sudan, we will make an ecumenical pilgrimage of peace to entreat God and men to bring to an end the hostilities and to have reconciliation. Both countries are rich in resources, the DRC in minerals and South Sudan in oil, but they are beset with great poverty and ongoing violence that have left millions of refugees and displaced people who are also dealing with overwhelming hunger. Catholics number just over half the 70 million populace of the DCR, whereas in South Sudan, Catholics are about 37% of the total population of 16.7 million. The Catholic Church in both countries plays a key role in health and educational institutions, as it does in efforts to build peaceful coexistence and democracy. Monday, January 30th. The Vatican released Pope Francis's prayer intentions for February, in which he asks parishes to truly be communities, to be places of listening and welcome, whose doors are always open to everyone, no one excluded. Also Monday, addressing members of the Order of Malta at the conclusion of their general chapter, Pope Francis greeted the new high officers and members of the council who had been elected at the meeting. From here, you resume with renewed impetus your commitment to tuitio fide and obsequium pauperum, defense of the faith and assistance to the poor, giving freely what you have freely received, and testifying that following Christ in the service of the poor and the sick is a path that fills the soul. The Pope expressed his pleasure at hearing that those who had been appointed to the provisional government had then, quote, found the confidence of the great majority of the chapter members. With these, the Pope said, you may now be ever more united to bear witness to your faith and your belonging to the order. Also Monday, Pope Francis named Chicago-born Robert Francis Prevost, an Augustinian missionary who's been serving as the Bishop of Chiclayo in Peru, as the new prefect for the Dicastery of Bishops, succeeding Cardinal Marc Ouellette, who at age 78 had his resignation accepted by the Pope. Archbishop-elect Prevost will also serve as president of the Pontifical Commission for Latin America. Monday afternoon. On the eve of his departure for his 40th apostolic journey abroad, Pope Francis paid a visit to the Roman Basilic of St. Mary Major to entrust his visit to the Blessed Virgin Mary in the icon of Salus Populi Romani. Tuesday, January thirty-first, The Holy Father departed for Kinshasa, Democratic Republic of the Congo, accompanied on the papal plain by 75 journalists, including several from the African nations he will visit. Before leaving for the airport, Pope Francis met a dozen migrants and refugees and their families from the DRC in South Sudan. With them was the prefect of the Dicastery for Charity, Cardinal Konrad Krajewski. Meeting with civil authorities on the first day of his apostolic journey to the DRC, Pope Francis addressed the most pressing issues affecting the African nation, including ongoing conflict and economic colonialism and he urged the Congolese people to reject violence. Wednesday, the second day of his trip, Pope Francis celebrated Mass for more than a million people at the Ndolo Airport in Kinshasa, and he urged them to lay down their arms, embrace mercy, and be missionaries of peace. Later Wednesday, in an extraordinarily moving encounter, Pope Francis met with survivors of the ongoing conflict in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo. They shared stories of brutal violence, including mass killings and mutilation, abduction and lost relatives, serial rape and sexual slavery, as well as displaced persons living in overcrowded and unsanitary refugee camps. Also Wednesday... Addressing a group of representatives of some charities in the Apostolic Nunciature, Pope Francis praised their work which he said is like a forest silently growing and bearing fruit amid the noise of ongoing violence and injustice. Attending the meeting were operators and beneficiaries of six charitable organizations and institutions who described their experiences and presented their activities in the fields of healthcare, education, and human development for the poor and marginalized. These included people affected by various types of disabilities, by Hansen's disease known as leprosy, and other illnesses. Thursday morning after Mass in private at the Nunciter, Pope Francis held a lively encounter with young people and the local church's catechists in Martyrs Stadium. He urged them never to grow discouraged in their quest to resist corruption. The Holy Father thanked the Congolese youth for their shows of affection and dancing. After the meeting with youth, the Pope returned to the Nunciature for a meeting with Prime Minister Jean-Michel Sama-Lukonde Kienge of the DRC. Later Thursday, Feast of the Presentation of the Lord, Francis met with priests, deacons, consecrated persons, and seminarians in Kinshasa's Cathedral of Our Lady of the Congo. He reminded those with religious vocations that despite enormous challenges, there is nonetheless great joy in the service of the gospel. Clergy and religious, the Pope said, are called to be witnesses of God's love by anointing his people today with the balm of consolation and hope. As the religious waited for the Pope to arrive, the luminous mysteries of the rosary were prayed in diverse languages, led by the superiors of religious orders from the six ecclesiastic provinces. The first four mysteries were prayed in national languages, Lingala, Kikongo, Swahili, and Shiluba, with the faithful responding in French. The fifth mystery was in French. Pope Francis arrived at the end of the fifth mystery, No applause. The faithful kept praying the rosary as he moved up the main aisle. Authorities estimate those inside the cathedral numbered 1,200, and just under 4,000 participated outside. Friday, February 3rd. Pope Francis left the DRC after several days that massive, joy-filled crowds attended papal masses and meetings with loud cries for peace, justice, and against corruption especially from the younger generations. As I record this new summary, he's about to land in the world's newest nation, South Sudan, where he will spend 48 hours before leaving for Rome on Sunday, February 5th. The ecumenical aspect of his Africa trip takes place in this nation of 16.7 million people. Well, those are the week's news highlights, but stay right here for part two of my conversation with my talented EWTN Rome Bureau colleague, Kazakhstan-born Alexei Gotovsky. And have a great weekend. Welcome to the Q&A, and this week we're going to talk about ambo and pulpit. Do you know what an ambo is? What a pulpit is? Is there a difference between them? Well, basically, they mean the same thing. This is the place, or the structure, if you wish, where lectors read, cantors sing, and priests read the gospel and deliver the homily. This can differ from church to church, but those are the basics. Some churches, however, have a separate place, a second ambo or lectern, just for the cantor. Churches built centuries ago, most of them in Europe, South America, or North America, usually had only a pulpit, a raised, usually quite ornate carved or sculpted structure, accessed via a spiral staircase. A great example of a pulpit in the U.S. is St. Patrick's in New York City, dating from 1879. On the right of the sanctuary, the pulpit is used by lectors, deacons, and priests, or, in this case, by the resident cardinal or bishop. An ambo, however, resembles a podium-like structure, a speaker's platform. Modern churches will have ambos, usually on the left side of the sanctuary. Many older churches that have pulpits no longer use them, but everyone speaks from an ambo. Philip Kozlowski, in an article in Alatea, noted that as the liturgy developed, two ambos were put in place to distinguish between the epistle and the gospel— the epistle ambo on the southern side, and the gospel ambo on the northern side of the church. By the 14th century, the use of ambos was in steady decline. Immediately succeeding the ambo in liturgical function was the pulpit. In medieval churches, it became a platform primarily used for preaching. After the Protestant Reformation, pulpits became a central feature of Protestant churches— Whereas in Catholic churches, the use of pulpits steadily declined. In the Catholic Church, both ambo and pulpit were no longer in general use by the 19th century, especially in newly constructed churches. Instead, often there would be a movable lectern that was brought out for sermons and taken away for the remainder of the Mass. Most lecterns, however, today are fixed. Many people are confused as to what news program to listen to. One news station promotes one thing, while another says the opposite. That's where Catholic Radio comes in. This is Donetta Robin of Divine Mercy Radio in Hayes, Kansas. Be assured that Catholic Radio will give you the news from a Catholic perspective and without bias. Be informed today. Tune in to Catholic Radio. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan. Every couple makes decisions differently. Sometimes the person with the stronger personality makes the decision, or the person who cares the most makes the decision, or the person who
1: feels they have the right to make the decision makes the decision. There is a problem with this.
0: In all of these situations, one spouse can sit on the sidelines, wash their hands of the results,
1: or feel free to second-guess and criticize the other. These are not examples of
0: life-giving decision-making. Joint decision means just that, deciding jointly after discussion, prayer, or simple agreement. But the most important part is that you agree as a couple to share the responsibility for that decision because mutual decision means mutual responsibility. When you both agree to bear the responsibility for the decision, both of you assume the risk. That is the type of unity that Christ challenges
1: married couples to strive for. To listen to our podcast on Parenting as a team, visit us at
0: MessyFamilyMinute.org. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Alexei Gotovsky, my multilingual, multi-talented colleague from Kazakhstan in the EWTN Rome office. Last week, you learned about his childhood in a country flanked by India, China and Russia and heard about his road to Rome and EWTN. And now, the rest of Alexei's story, including his trip to his native Kazakhstan with Pope Francis. You went to Kazakhstan on a papal (laughs) trip. Tell us about that.
1: This was one of the most incredible stories that ever happened to me. (laughs) Of course. Imagine, John, to go home, but to go not in a normal flight, but to go with the Pope. So it was was fantastic. It was uh, like in a dream. Sure. And... uh,
0: did, uh, you did tell Pope Francis I'm from Kazakhstan, didn't you? Or I <laughs> did, I did.
1: I I said thank you to him before. Uh, while we were flying to Kazakhstan. He was greeting one by one one every oh, journalist. Sure. And so I said thank you and we'll welcome you and we're waiting for you here. And I asked him if I could pray for him. Interesting thing happened in the, when we were going back from Kazakhstan to Rome in the papal flight because, because I... I was only this uh, we were only two people from Kazakhstan and this is why I had a possibility to ask a question you know Pope Francis usually gives a press conference on right. Friday and this time it worked, worked worked so well because I am from Kazakhstan could ask a question and um, so I I had this uh, great honor to to talk with the Pope you sure. know and uh, asked him about Kazakhstan what did he like about it and uh, also asked if there is anything that inspired him uh, seeing cath- um, Catholics in Kazakhstan. So he said he loved the country and it surprised him a lot and he said that Catholics were very cheerful which is oh, good. which is very interesting because in our culture we are not so you know joyful or we, we, we are but maybe we do not want to express it so much like in uh, you know, in the South America
0: oh, or Oh, sure. Italy. Spain, Spain, Italy. Spain, yes. Well, yeah, no, no, exactly. we were rather
1: very, very quiet, and so that was interesting that he he noticed it.
0: Now, um, did you get a chance to meet um, Archbishop Peta and Archbishop uh, Schneider of Astana? He's the Auxiliary Bishop mm-hmm. Schneider. Did you get a chance? Tell me about your Knowing them and one of them in particular, right? <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, you're right. I know them both of them very well. I also uh, was in Kazakhstan with my colleague. In, it was a month before papal flight on the ground to gather different stories. So it was a moment also where I could oh, interview yeah. interview our, our Archbishop Thomas Petta. And uh, at that time, uh, Bishop uh, Schneider, he was not in Kazakhstan, but I met him then later on when Pope was there. And uh, I could say that uh, for for Catholics of Kazakhstan it was the second time when we uh, welcomed the Pope. The first time was Pope John Paul II sure. Pope uh, who um, visited Kazakhstan in 2001. And so it, in our conversation with the uh, Archbishop Thomas Beta, it was um, uh, he expressed a big joy that for the second time he can welcome the Pope uh, right? of course. And one particular thing was that um, he shared with me beforehand, and then we all have seen it during the papal trip, is that he commissioned an icon of Our Lady, but uh, we called it Our Lady, Mother of the Great Steps. Oh. So it it is Our Lady, but painted in a way that uh, how a Kazakh woman, you know, uh, would be painted in a the, in the national... Native casa- dress, nas- dress native and everything, dress. yeah. And uh, it was a fascinating story that he was telling me, and then he showed me a picture, and I found this work of art absolutely incredible.
0: I have a feeling I've seen that picture. Yes, because,
1: because Pope Francis then blessed the icon when uh, he visited
0: Kazakhstan. Oh, sure, that's what it is, yeah.
1: Yes, and uh, and then we decided with my colleague that we will go to the south of Kazakhstan. It's 1,000 kilometers away from Astana, from the capital, and we will meet with the painter and talk with him.
0: Oh.
1: Also because the painter is not, um, is not Catholic. He's uh, traditionally Muslim, and he's Kazakh, and it was very interesting... Uh, First of all, why he said yes to paint you know our lady and also what, what all the ideas they had behind and uh, when we met him uh, he explained all of the details of the painting and it was absolutely fantastic and uh, also his reflection on role of Jesus and our Lady was uh, absolutely stunning because
0: Muslims do see they revere Mary and they do see Jesus but as a prophet.
1: It's yeah. true, um, but also he was sharing the story that he says that Kazakh people, uh, now they're Muslim, but before uh, they had this natural religion where also they had a figure of mother. Oh. That now, in, uh, you know, with, a, with Islam in, in Kazakhstan, this figure of mother, maybe rather it's a little bit, um, it's not so present. And this is why he said, you know what, this picture, or this icon, actually I was painting the whole life. In different other paintings, and it's finally the moment when I can paint a mother. I would like to represent my mother, your mother, everyone's mother in wow. uh, painting. And so his reflections were so deep, and uh, also about Jesus. He said uh, he's a hero, you know. And I love it. And first he added the hair to him, and then he canceled hair. He said no, I'd like that he will look very uh, mature for for his, even if he's a baby, but. Uh, everything that he ha- he needs to go you know through not every person could do it. only a uh, person a very strong person who's a hero and so uh, wow. he is 't like a little hero and so now this uh, this painting was blessed by Pope Francis and it is installed in our national uh shrine dedicated to Our Lady, which is in Kazakhstan and it 's oh. only one shrine in the whole Central Asia. My word! It's very unique. Yes.
0: Now I want to, for a minute, talk about something (laughs) before we started taping. Um, I was asking you about you know Archbishop Peter and Schneider, both of yes. whom I met and admire uh, enormously. But you were as yes. a child. <laughs> tell me.
1: <laughs> I know uh, very well um, also uh, Bishop Schneider, Ahanizer Schneider because he used to work in my city as a priest first and then he became a uh, bishop also in my city. and um, uh, when I was a, as a child uh, when I was a child, I was an altar boy. And uh, I would go very often, almost every Sunday for one period of time with Bishop Schneider to different little cities around my town to Aww. celebrate Mass and to um, to help him, yeah, to be an altar boy.
0: Wow. How lovely. It was
1: beautiful. I, I, lo- I love those moments, and I also loved the possibility and moments to talk with Bishop Schneider while he was driving a car, you know, and I was a little sure. boy, and we were talking about... Uh, God and about vacation and about...
0: But you you can bring not only your personal experience, but I mean your knowledge of that part of the world to EWTN. Mm. When we have coverage, and it can be of a papal trip or something happening in countries that were formerly you know, um, a a Soviet republic, you can bring that to to EWTN, and that has to be enormously helpful to all of us in our bureau, because we're expanding like mad.
1: That's very true, and also it is my joy, you know, to bring uh, on spotlight uh, my culture and uh, our, our church in Kazakhstan, which maybe people do not hear very often. But there are Catholics, you know, and they're very good people, and they're good Catholics, and there are a lot of beautiful stories.
0: Well, they're going to know a lot more after <laughs> this <laughs> when this That's interview true. airs, for sure. But um,
1: And also because uh, Kazakhstan from last year, Pope Francis decided that we'll become a center as also um, the headquarters of Bishop Conference for the whole Central Asia, including Mongolia and oh. Afghanistan. So from last year, Kazakhstan has started to play a very, you know, a huge role. Significant, significant role. Significant role for yeah. Catholics in all uh, Central Asian region.
0: Wow. Now, Alexei, this... What an amazing life! <laughs> I, I I hope you're you know r- I hope you've written some things down. Uh, I think we both have had amazing lives in in very different ways, but you do have to write some of the things down too. But now tell my listeners exactly what you do now in our Rome bureau when you're not traveling with popes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, uh, right now I'm working as a project manager in and Vatican Bureau, and it means to develop and lead different projects. And, for example, one of them uh, was a coverage of Pope uh, Benedict XVI's uh, funerals sure. that we had two weeks ago. And now uh, we're working a lot on the uh, coverage of World Youth Days in Lisbon oh, sure. this August. But also we're working in new projects, and uh, one of them very interesting, in my opinion, is a Summer Academy, EWTN summer academy really so in uh, june uh we are expecting 40 young people young professionals or our students who wants to dedicate their life to be journalists like me and you (laughs) and we would like to pass on some knowledge that we have and create a network in the community uh, of young catholic journalists
0: fantastic and the world needs it Yes, the, I'm very the, excited
1: ab- about this project. and well, it I'll be, be back room. to
0: interview some of them. I'll let <laughs> you introduce me. <laughs>
1: yes, yes, we'll, we'll definitely in- invite you. Uh, yeah.
0: So, well, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to this amazing life story. The young man in front of me is just that, he's young, but extremely mature given his upbringing, um, just his natural skills, his acquired skills, his love of his culture, love of new cultures, traveling with the Pope, etc. So um, Alexei, in our presence at the Rome Bureau Chief, has enriched all of us. We kind of hope we might have done the same thing for him, but mm-hmm. but definitely he's the go-to person for a lot of things in Rome, and Alexei, we we certainly thank you for that. So um, God bless you and your work. Oh, you have an exciting event coming up. <laughs> oh, my right. word. Tell me.
1: <laughs> yes, in, in June... Uh, I'm going to be married, and I'm very, very excited. And uh, my fiancé lives in uh, Hungary, and so we're planning our marriage in Budapest in June. So please uh, say your prayers. Absolutely. (laughs) Because now it's a time of preparation. It's very joyful, but also uh, a little bit challenging because we need to prepare everything.
0: Of course. Well, God bless you both, and um, maybe I'll just be in Budapest. It's one of my favorite cities. In, in Europe for sure. So, Alexei, thank you. God bless you. I think you can probably say that he has blessed you in in many ways, and you have blessed DWTN. So, thank you for your time today for this talk. And of course, we're going to see each other a
1: lot. <laughs> thank you, Joan. It has been a pleasure. Thank God,
0: you. God bless. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.